what's up everybody and welcome to another episode of shut up keep going i'm cindy goodman i'm kate franklin and my name <laughs> franklin effect franklin effect um and this is the podcast where we explore internet curiosities and amongst other things amongst many other things we start there and then it kind of fractals on fractals Ooh. um okay well shall we get to it let's do it okay also i don't know that this is an appropriate place to share this share it i had to pee so bad (laughs) and i finally i finally got to relieve that yeah and now i feel like my bladder feels like a used condom (laughs) and like there's nothing i can do about it like i just tried drinking a lot of more water to see if it would fill it up and kind of help things it just feels like yeah 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 i are condoms sustainable probably not they're plastic right they're latex they shouldn't be biodegradable because of like what they're trying to protect against right so are there just like if the whole world becomes super sustainable is there just going to be like a huge pile of used condoms <laughs> i don't know where do condoms i guess condoms are in the trash right yeah i remember when my dad told me what a condom was and i was like very upset because it was very offhanded i didn't know what a condom was until i had to use one <laughs> Well, you got to learn it sometime. I feel like even when it was like, what movie is that? Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. Yeah. And I th- I feel like there's a sex ed part in there and they're putting condoms on the bananas. Oh, yeah. And I feel like even then I was like, okay. I just accepted that like condoms exist, but I didn't really realize like the practical application. Yeah. I feel like I didn't understand what they actually did for like a while. Yeah. (laughs) That abstinence only sex ed. So the way my dad described it, he was watching like some sitcom. I probably watched in the kitchen. It was at night because I remember specifically there's no lights on and he was just watching our kitchen TV and I was going in to get Cheez-Its and sorry, before you continue the story, can we just appreciate how sketchy this is that you're telling us that this is when you learned about condoms and it was when you walked into a dark kitchen of your dad watching TV. Continue. He wasn't doing anything. He was just watching TV. I know that for a fact. Okay. He's a very, no. I mean, whew, I'm digging myself in a hole here. Anyways, okay. The hole's deep. Good thing you got a condom. No, it just, it's because I'm a synesthetic and I just remember like the light quality and things. I hate that. Okay, cut that. No, you can keep it in. Okay. I walked in and the people were like, they mentioned a condom and it was like this bit on the TV show. And I literally remember I was had the box of Cheez-Its and I was like shoveling them into my mouth. And I was like, what's a condom? And my dad's like, oh, it's a thing that holds your pee-pee back when you have sex. And I was like, okay. And then I just walked out of the room and then like immediately was traumatized because anytime your parents mention sex, you're traumatized. And then I think I got the image in my brain that a condom is like a, it's like a rubber band. <laughs> well, that's a horrible description of a condom that your it's dad gave It's not wrong you. though. Hold your pee-pee back. It's like, I Could you mean, imagine if you referred to a man's penis as a pee-pee? <laughs> pee-pee is the funniest word I have to say. It really is. Pee-pee. <laughs> Are we five? Oh, so I had the visual of literally like 
it's like a little sock and it has little like cords on it that you tie around your belly and it just holds it up can you please draw this and include it in our image guide i will good oh my gosh i wonder if you can patent this and make it like like maybe it's like to help people rest do you remember no no no. do you know where it came from how how, How to, to with, with John, John Wilson. Wilson. That episode with the guy. With the circumcision thing. Yeah, yeah. That's what I kind of imagined a, a condom being like. When he's laying wow. on the bed and he's like, you ever see, you see Parasite? <laughs> I was not ready for that. I know, wasn't. Okay, so know. if you don't know what we're talking about, please, 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 please go watch How to with John Wilson. It is phenomenal. It's one of the best TV shows I've it's ever seen. It's on HBO Max. Max, whatever it's called now. And um, you should just go watch it and go watch the circumcision episode and just be prepared for the unpreparable. <laughs> I don't even think it is. Well, yeah, you can guess. You'll you'll find out what episode it is because it's yeah. not labeled. Oh, <laughs> so you just have to watch them all until you get a part with <laughs> circumcision and something that looks like Kate's uh, invention. Um, where did we get on? I this? have no oh, idea. Oh, your bladder's feels like a my bladder's condom. like a used condom. And while we're talking about this, we don't have to talk about how we learned what sex is because I feel like I'm sure this will come up again. But when you're talking about just not knowing what a condom is and realizing like the different iterations of like, because I feel like you understand that sex is in like the zeitgeist as a child, even if you yeah. don't know what it is. Yeah. And I remember there were like four different definitions of what I thought sex was yeah. prior to actually learning what it was. Yeah. But I remember at one point, so my parents both sleep with a body pillow, like just like one of the, like, you know, the pillow that you kind of hug or whatever. They both do. That's cute. Yeah. And um, I remember asking them like, why? Mm-hmm. And they said something to the effect that it's like well you can't like we can't touch when we're sleeping otherwise we'll get pregnant or something like that and so for what? the longest time i thought that's why people slept with body pillows is because you couldn't wait what a, no offense to your parents i love them but what a weird explanation <laughs> yeah i don't know what was going on there i was like really really maybe really they young. misinterpreted what you meant by a body pillow well i don't know what my original question was i could okay. have also asked like where do babies come from sort of a thing and i just know that part of the response was that the reason why the body pillow was there was so they didn't touch while they were sleeping yeah um another thing that i was always really worried about was i shared a bathroom with my brother we had separate washcloths which i didn't realize not everybody uses a washcloth in the shower i don't what i use a loofah okay but so that makes sense but a loofah but like there's some people that don't use any any like product like any like vehicle for the soap they just put it in their hand how do they get it around they just put it in their hand but then it just goes on one part of your body but then you just spread it to another part that does not work well i have been called out i've (laughs) i've been called out several times for exclusively using a washcloth anyways that was common in my household so i had a washcloth and my brother had a washcloth and as soon as i learned like more about what sex was <laughs> you, like you where this so might be going <laughs> it's not going anywhere gross okay. it's me being a dummy okay um as soon as i learned like oh like guys have this thing i didn't really understand how sex worked but i was like guys have this thing and if it gets in my thing i'm gonna get pregnant 
that's that was yeah. the idea i didn't know what the thing was didn't understand the missing piece and so i remember being really concerned that my brother would accidentally use my washcloth and it would touch his thing and then i would use the washcloth to Aww. wash me and that i would get pregnant and then it would be incest <laughs> that's what i heard that's where my face was going you said that's not a thing <laughs> well I, I was just really concerned about that and so i made my mom get us two different colored washcloths so that it was very distinguishable that At least you're practicing something something i don't know what that is and then i remember the final one which was that my brother told me that sex was two naked people jumping on top of each other which that that's a common thing it's that or like you peeing on each other <laughs> or is that not a common thing that's what all me and my friends believed did somebody like watch like some kinky no no because no, i think where in my head where that goes is like when you are peeing you're like naked like you're are like, you i'm fully clothed i just have my pants off yeah your pants like you can have sex that way too uh, uh, well it's just like, very fun it's but, like your okay. your genitals are exposed okay fair. so like and that's i feel like we know instinctively that that's how sex happens is like through the downstairs you know mm -hmm. so it's like i feel like oh, that's that fair that's why the peeing Anyways, on that note, uh, today we're talking about wombats. Okay. Wait. What? Do okay. you really like wombats? No, I don't know if it's... It, did something spark this? Oh, no, I'm thinking of something else. But it's funny. I'm going to tell you after. Okay, okay. Tell me after. Okay. So wombats, they're not like us at all. They have short legs. <laughs> they're muscular. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't, they're not like us at all. Well, you know how people say like celebrities they're just like us <laughs> i was doing a play on that like wombats i know it was just like, funny oh, oh thank you <laughs> i probably lost all of the humor maybe me explaining my like thought process behind the joke anyways they have short legs they're muscular they walk on all fours they're marsupials native to australia wait, they're marsupials mm-hmm Wait, just wait. Okay. I have I have some hot info about um, <laughs> okay, about wombats. wombats. Um, you thought you were getting hot and heavy while we were talking about not knowing what sex was when we were children. Just you wait. <laughs> no. So they weigh anywhere between forty-four and seventy-seven pounds. Um, they can move up to twenty-five miles per hour when chased. Okay. Um, they're about three point three feet long. Cute little. Okay, little. And boys. they burrow a lot and have rodent-like front teeth. And since they're marsupials, where is their pouch, you might ask? On their belly? No. They have a backward pouch, which is on their back, and it's helpful so that when they're digging, they don't get soil in its pouch and all over its babies. Dude, nature's so smart. Oh, because when they're digging, so it's like... When they're digging, they're... Cute. And so if they were, think about like the physics of if you're digging and you have a pouch on your stomach, then you'd be hitting the soil straight into your pouch but the pouch is on its like back hit my throat in a weird way <laughs> but the pouch is on its back so that the soil oh wow dude like come on nature come on nature how did you it's... how could you anticipate that i just figured it out figured it out so they're nocturnal they're herbivores mostly eat grasses herbs bark roots a fun fact okay what do you think a group of wombats is called there are three acceptable answers a clubhouse no a wisdom <laughs> a mob 
<laughs> or a colony. Oh, I just love that there's a mob of wombats. <laughs> wombat wob. I, uh, I said wob. <laughs> wob wob wob. Okay, so little guns. <laughs> I picture them with the little like the fedoras. <laughs> I'm like the don. <laughs> Don't cross me. <laughs> it's like sitting with their like spaghetti and meatball. <laughs> um, okay, so now we get to the to the interesting stuff. We're okay. Here. So wombats actually display something called biofluorescence, which is when there's UV light, their fur glows. Whoa, really? Yes. Um, And there's actually been a lot of biofluorescent mammals identified so far that are either nocturnal or crepuscular. Okay. Crepuscular, which means that they're most active at dawn and dusk. Um, but biofluorescence requires a light source for the glow to then re-emit from them. And science has no idea why this happens. No idea. Does it serve them a purpose? They're not sure. Because they, the articles that I read were basically saying that it's like there's some hypotheses out there. Like one that was kind of thrown around but then like debunked was this idea that maybe they're like it has to do with the way that they see things. And so they can see other wombats or other mammals that have bioluminescence mm. or sorry, biofluorescence um, mm-hmm. so that they can see their, oh, I see. their own oh. or others that are okay. maybe like not predatory. I see. Um, because, but it only, it comes through UV light. Yeah. But so the idea is maybe their eyes allow them to see whatever we can see through the uv light but then other animals can't see that like prey can't i see theoretically this is all theoretical because science has literally no idea why this is a thing which made me really excited and i know we talk a lot about science on this podcast um and a lot and our wait did I just pull out? Oh, I did just pull out my heads. I was like, why did I the thought audio you were, just I cut? thought you were like, we haven't been recording this whole time. <laughs> and I was like, no. Um, so it's just really exciting to me that there's just so many, there's unanswered questions. Yeah. And that we think of our society as like so evolved and it's like we have many computers we towed around in our pockets, like amazing. We know everything. And I don't know. I just love the fact that we have no freaking idea why some mammals' fur glow under UV lights. It's just like that they, maybe they love raves. Maybe, maybe. That's crazy. Biggest fan of Skrillex. (laughs) Skrillex should have like an alternate personality called Grillix (laughs) and just like be like the ultimate grill boy, like grill guy. Oh, that's cute. Just like really likes grills. Is Skrillex related to like skeleton imagery um i'm not sure to be honest i'm imagining like a skeleton with claws well so skrillex does have like the claw mark oh no so that's a thing yeah i didn't just imagine that you did not imagine that okay um but yeah they have no idea why this happens and again going back to just like the mysteries of the universe it's similar to the eel thing why i found yeah. it so fascinating is i just love things about science that are like relatively benign that like we just don't freaking know but that's what's so interesting about animals is like they're i mean in the last episode we talked about perception being kind of all everything we have 
is like we literally can't understand what an animal thinks or feels Mm -hmm. like like we just will never know probably i mean i would love to know but i would love to know unless it's something i don't want to know but like okay imagine like i'm sure like ernie thinks i do such random shit sometimes and it's just like he'll be like i'm trying to get that but that makes no sense to me and that's probably like the the bioluminescence probably makes total sense to them they're like yeah like this is like this is what's happening this is biofluorescence biofluorescence bioluminescence i think is the uv light thing with the ocean oh yeah that's what i'm thinking of um yeah that's funny it's like same same different so um just to to quell your curiosity okay uh bilbies bandicoots wombats flying foxes microbats tasmanian devils Mm. and echidnas i want to say enchiladas so bad oh Um, yeah those animals they all have biofluorescence i didn't know that now you know those are there and they're all in australia i mean aren't marsupials only in australia or is that incorrect most of them are i think at least most of them are that's absolutely correct i could not confirm or deny the absolute can i tell you something really upsetting about when i went to australia you've been to australia yeah why does everyone want to go to australia no offense to australia but i feel like a lot of people in california for some reason are always like that's like where i want to be and i've never had the hankering i haven't since i've went there um it seems cool it seems just like to me it seems like america just like down under (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean i mean it's beautiful but uh i went because my sister i've talked about this she was in this like weird children's chorus that sang with Phil harmonics mm-hmm. and so they played at the sydney opera house and then my dad cried and i thought i made him mad but it was because my sister was singing at the sydney opera house wow that's like um, big good for her yeah it was cool um but i was obsessed because did you know i used to want to be like eliza thornberry i mean who didn't i did be? not know this but i wanted to be like a zoologist or like so bad i was like obsessed with animals Mm -hmm. i mean i still am obviously but like for sure i like wanted to like be like steve Irwin, like really bad and so we went to australia it was like the height of it so it was like the best time of my entire life and we went to a lot of like animal rescues there Mm -hmm. which like that's what they claimed they were i'm not sure they were like i don't know but it's like okay because australia has a lot of like crazy animals that no one else spiders dude so there's this place called the rainforest station that i think i believe was a rescue like it was Mm -hmm. like the wild animal park which they claim is like a no no, it actually is is, yeah i was obsessed with that that was like my favorite place i mean you know you can spend the night there i want it roar and snore roar and star i we did that for alex's birthday was it fun it was super fun i loved it my it's so much so that i convinced my parents to go for like i think oh my god maybe i should do that it's super worth it it was really cute um i did this lame thing where we rode um what are those like things that are like very early 2000s that you stand on and there's the two wheels (laughs) segways 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 i took a segway tour through the (laughs) the wild animal park like where the animals are yeah they put you you don't go through like where the tigers are but it's like where the giraffes are the like big open area they let segways down i feel like that would like confuse and upset the animals that's what i realized like in retrospect and i was like mad the whole time that i was doing it because i honestly just my i asked my mom if i could just have unlimited 
nectar to be in the parakeet thing because that's I love the parakeet I just thing. loved it so much but Kate I didn't know this about you I I uh like big how have we energy. not connected over this I'm so confused I love I love yeah. honestly like still a passion of mine and I For would get sure. into it 100 um but so when we went to Australia we went to this place called the rainforest station where I freaking held a koala <gasps> which was literally like my parents were heavy? like yeah they're so heavy they are very coarse they do not they're not soft which was interesting they kind of feel like pubic hair <laughs> <laughs> and they're like really heavy Dude, pubic hair is the worst imagine if your whole head was pubic hair imagine an entire being of pubic hair that is would you rather have every single hair on your body be the same texture as pubic hair or have no hair on any part of your body like no eyelashes no eyebrows no head hair nothing but then you also wouldn't have to shave your legs no hair obviously but you can't you could you not wear a wig you can't wear a wig you just gotta roll with it i would still do that i would like rock it you would rock it too I really wanted to shave my head, but I don't think I have the face for it. In my head, shaving your head is like this huge power move, but I think I'd look so stupid. <laughs> no, me too. Like I I think some I think everyone I've seen actually with a shaved head, I'm always like, damn, like good for you. I know. But then when I look at my face in the mirror <laughs> and I like imagine it, I'm like, whoa. I'm about to have a meltdown because I'm thinking of growing out my bangs and every day I pull them back to see what <laughs> it looks like and I'm like, No, <laughs> I mean, the nice thing, though, is when you grow it out, if you don't like it as it's happening, you can just cut it again. But then it's like I'll have to live through the memory of like six months of me saying that I was doing that and everyone Mm. knowing that that's what my forehead looked like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyways, I went to this place called Rainforest Station. Oh, my gosh. Sorry. We're still here. And I held the koala. But the thing that was very upsetting about marsupials is that there were like just all these kangaroos running around and wallabies and you could just like hang out with them and kangaroos are very vicious Do you i've know heard that? that yeah kangaroo jack he punches a guy oh yeah but there was a kangaroo that was like kind of sweet and like everyone was petting it and i don't know this might be fucked up but like i want to think that like the zookeeper was like oh you should feel in its pouch or if I just no, I've done that before. Or if I just happened to reach into it, but it was so weird and clammy and sweaty that it was like really upsetting. And I remember I was like, Ugh. and I can. It's one of those sense memories where I can still feel it to this day. It was just so like clammy feeling in my head and it, like skin. It feels like the other. Yeah, I don't know. It, I remember it not feeling like what I thought it would yeah so you would love this there's actually the time that i got to put my hand in a pouch um was i'm gonna be so sad if i don't have it anymore i don't remember what it's called for my mom's birthday Mm -hmm. two years ago uh we got her this thing where we went to an animal rescue up like an hour from here towards the central coast oh wow um that rescues basically like people who take rescue i think former performance animals and people who take exotic animals like illegally to have as pets and then realize that like they can't do that there's a reason why they're not supposed to have them and so they they have like a whole sanctuary for them and so they had um a a kangaroo they have monkeys too it's really cool it's a cool experience wow and the monkey like jumps on you and stuff and they're like hey how's it going 
That's so cute. Cool. Yeah. That's why I really want to go to Southeast Asia because monkeys are like little, they're like pigeons. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Alex went to, I can't remember where it was that he went, but there's like an island that they went to and the monkeys were all boning. <laughs> and so like all the pictures are them like standing in front of these monkeys just like boning. Wait, did I ever tell you my story about SeaWorld? Wait. I went to SeaWorld when I was little. Okay. And <laughs> don't cancel me. I went, I, everyone went to SeaWorld when you were little. I went to SeaWorld when I was little. And I think it was just when I learned about sex too. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I was like 10. And you know how there's like the viewing tank of when yeah. you go into the Shamu show where there's like the holding tanks with them? Mm-hmm. And I was walking through and I saw a trainer have one of the whales laying on its back and its dick was out which was humongous how big is a whale dick humongous like the size of this room no and way no way the Sydney, size of this room i mean not the width wise but it was long as fuck like five feet oh my gosh and <laughs> Sydney, <laughs> he was there were two of the sea world employees with like giant what looked like q-tips like human sized q-tips masturbating this whale <laughs> and i saw it <laughs> for what for what why do they do this to collect its sperm yes <laughs> they just do that in the public that's what it looks like to me i remember so vividly it was like it's like purple like the dick is like purple and it's so long and they like human q-tips just going back and <laughs> forth back and forth wow yeah it's so funny that you have that sea world story because i have a sea world <laughs> really story. so one year in girl scouts it was like we like hit our cookie selling goal or whatever <laughs> and so with the money our troop went to stay overnight at sea world mm-hmm. and we stayed in the beluga whales enclosure i love beluga whales They're but so they cute. were again just having sex and so the beluga <laughs> whales little pee was out and he was just chasing the females all night and they were all just like and like we're all literally sleeping like in the enclosure <laughs> like watching this and like we were so young that we were like what's happening and all the parents were just like in disarray being like uh like is there somewhere else that we can sleep that's so funny yeah so i don't know um the animal kingdom waits for no one yeah truly so we haven't even gotten to the best part about okay, wombats great. and arguably one of the things that probably differentiates us from wombats the most okay just their poop okay sure it's square <gasps> i feel like i've heard of this but that's very shocking how is it square? Well, that's what that's ultimately why I looked this up was because I saw something that was like wombats have square poop, and I was like, how? Because like if you think about like squeezing, like okay, if you think about like toothpaste, there is like it is physically impossible to squeeze a thing of a tube of toothpaste and have it be square. It be square. Yeah, it will never be square. Yeah, like that's just not gonna happen. Um, so before we get to that, I'd like to tell you why it's square, which okay. is also interesting. So it's square. They use their feces to mark territories and attract mates. Sure. And it's believed that the cubic shape makes them more stackable and less likely to roll. <laughs> Wait, but- which gives them a biological advantage. But how does it come out as a square? No, you'll you'll learn. Okay, you'll learn. Okay. So wombats actually don't see or hear very well. So they stack their poops 
um, in important places to guide themselves around and signal their presence to other wombats. So they kind of use poop as like, hey, what's up? I'm here. Wow. And so that's why their poop needs to be stackable. (laughs) Again, nature finds a way. Yeah, it's like that. there's a sign. It's like you're printing your own direction. Exactly. Okay, so how how does this happen so what i initially googled was do wombats have square buttholes <laughs> unfortunately they do not wait but how did you initially find that wombats poop in squares i honestly think i might have just seen it in like i follow a lot of like animal okay like yeah. accounts on my phone yeah like on instagram and i feel like one of them posted like a like did you know because I think it's called Wires is what I follow. And they are an Australian rescue mm-hmm. um, organization. And so they do a lot of like Wombat Wednesday. Like here's a oh, fact cute. sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, and so I saw that and was like, wait a minute. This doesn't check out. So how, how does this, how? How? This is recent information, by the way. They just found this out? I don't know how recent, but okay. it's recent enough that prior people were like very mystified by this. So new research from a team led by Patricia Yang from the Georgia Institute of Technology. Also before, sorry, I'm going to keep you in suspense for one second longer. Can you imagine if your job is researching (laughs) how wombats poop is square? (laughs) Like that is your vocation. She must do more than just that. I don't know. I would be really happy if that. It's like the guy that was researching the eels for like however long. (laughs) Where the (laughs) meals. So feces travels through most of the wombat intestine as liquid, but they dry up into a solid for the last 8% of the journey. And this, 8%. this is when it cubifies. Um, so how, but how, how does it cubify Sydney? So basically the intestine is more elastic in some places than others. So it pushes down on its contents harder at some places than in others, which create these little blocks say that again i'm trying i'm really trying to visualize it so the intestine is picture like a full intestine right as far as like it's like it's like a tube or whatever and it's more elastic in some places than others and so basically the difference of the places that it there is elasticity versus the places that isn't that pressure creates little blocks are they very blocky like they're not like sharp edges necessarily, but they're definitely more blocky than round. <laughs> That's so cute. Isn't it kind of cute? It's like little like like sugar blocks, sugar cubes. Except more soft edges, I would say. Okay. Um, but I loved this quote. <laughs> Yang says, quote, We currently have only two methods to manufacture cubes. We mold it or we cut it. Now we have this third method, she said in a statement. It would be a cool method to apply to the manufacturing process. How to make a cube with soft tissue instead of just molding it. (laughs) So I kind of love that it's like, okay, so here's this thing that was like this scientific mystery. Why are wombats poops square for cubes? And then we learn how that process happens and then we're like well let's just echo nature and now we have a third way of manufacturing cubes yeah it's like it like actually becomes like the reason why we're able to like have affordable housing because they find this like new way of creating like like design materials and cubes yeah i love that 
Yeah. So. Wow. Wombats, man. Wombats. The thing that I more like whoa initially thought you were going to talk about was badgers. Oh, okay. I don't know much about badgers. Caleb told me this nuts thing. So the quote of this article is: "Are they mean?" Donald Trump obsessed with badgers. (laughs) New book claims. What? I don't understand this obsession with what like i guess like preferences of like people who are famous well no so this is just like very bizarre okay so basically there's this new book coming out um that uh reports that donald trump was obsessed with badgers and over two pages the writers talk about how he would interrogate his former chief of staff Renz previous with questions like um are they mean to people <laughs> are badgers mean to people so it'd be like okay so they would be in a meeting he would be briefing the president on like healthcare initiatives or foreign policy and then trump would just turn and be like are they mean <laughs> and everyone would know that he was referring to badgers this <laughs> man sounds like he has adhd he's he's living in our world another quote is are they friendly creatures (laughs) an obviously enthralled president would stare at Priebus as the age struggled for sufficiently placating answers all while trying to gently veer the conversation back anyways i just loved that so much i'm like how do how did you get on that i want to know like are those answers available like is it how like how hard is it (laughs) to are they friendly creatures that's like one of the more relatable things in politics i have to say because you were about wondering badgers, about yeah. if wombats have square poops. politicians they're just like us <laughs> unlike wombats who are different um well on a, on a non-similar note okay jackie's lacan was born in paris in april 1901 he studied medicine and specialized in psychiatry so you can understand why i'm coming to him Um, and, uh, he became a psychoanalyst. So during the thirties, he was associated with the surrealists in Paris and he, for a short time was Pablo Picasso's private physician. Whoa. He was very involved in the, in the arts and the cute. Okay. Society. (laughs) High society. Okay. So in 1951, Lacan began to hold seminars on psychoanalytic theory. And one of his first public seminars in uh, November 18th. Oh, that's Max's birthday. Happy birthday. Um, he. Uh, I know a lot of November birthdays. Scorpios. What is a Scorpio's deal? They're like me. <laughs> they're like scorpions. Is that why? Yeah, I don't know. It's- oh, my dad's a Scorpio. I don't think he's mean. I think they're just like, like they say it how it is. I don't know anything about this. Um, but yeah, my dad's a Scorpio. Um, but I do this weird thing. Oh, Whenever I hear somebody's birthday, I try to figure out what nine months before it was <laughs> to figure out when so- they were conceived. <laughs> yeah, like automatically? Yeah. Wait, when were we conceived in March? I think it's like August, right? What was going on in August? August, our parents' anniversary. <laughs> Almost say yeah. yeah, right. August, September, October, so November, December, March. They're like big wait, day. January, February, March. Wait, no, that's only seven. I think it's like July. 
It's July 4th of July, dude. Fireworks. They're like, America, let's give them a new citizen. But yeah, so that's my dirty little secret is if you ever tell me your birthday, I'm trying to figure out when your parents had sex. <laughs> Just to kind of get a sense of I it. wish it wasn't true. <laughs> oh, no. You're really good at doing it because I can't go back nine months in my head. It's easily. hard. I have to like, like those November babies, and I know a lot of them, February, oh, Valentine's Day. Predictable. It's like, just have sex at any time. I'm going to make sure that I conceive in like the most random month. Like April. Easter sex, though. Ugh, that Easter sex. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus isn't the only one that's coming. <laughs> Wait, that would be Christmas, though. He's coming alive again. <laughs> Joke works two months. It's doing double duty. <laughs> Just like my dick. <laughs> he rises again. <laughs> I wanted to do like a full line of like apparel that's just like Jesus and sex. Yeah. The collab. <laughs> and the the company is like Jesus and then like X sex. Like it's like an official collaboration. He rises again. So good. Um Wow. Uh, what were you talking about? I, I don't know. Jacques? Jacques Lecon. So he, okay, anyways, in so 1950s, he's given these lectures in psychoanalysis, right? And one of his big theories that he comes up with, which for some reason I didn't write down exactly when it was, I want to believe it was this one in November, meaning if someone was conceived, then their parents fucked in February. Mm-hmm. Um, he presented this idea of the mirror stage. Do you know this? No. Ooh. You're going to love this. I'm excited. It was one of, it was like a big like thing in college that I was like all my art is about the mirror stage. Okay. So annoying. Um so the idea of the mirror stage is an important component in Lacan's reinterpretation of Freud. So cuz I said he was a psychoanalyst. Mm-hmm. Analyst. Um drawing on work in physiology and animal psychology Look so wombats. <laughs> Lacan proposes that human infants, um, and he's talking about from the uh, age of six to eighteen months, pass through a stage in which the external image of the body, reflected in a mirror or represented to the infant through a mother or caregiver, produces a psychic response that r- gives rise to the mental representation of I. Well, okay, you're going to have to break we're, that we're down gonna, We're going to go into it. So confronted by its own image, a six-month-year-old six human will grow excited, fascinated, whereas a chimpanzee of the same age will lose interest as soon as it's realized that its reflection is an illusion. Mm-hmm. So basically, when you're a baby and you see when you've grown to either six months or up to 18 months, you have this moment when you're given a mirror, you see your reflection that you recognize that that's you mm. and that you're mm. a being. Whoa. Talk about an aha moment. Oh my God. That's part of it. Oh, or they are. That's like one. Okay. Okay. Anyways. So the infant identifies with the image, which serves as a gestalt. And I don't think he, he didn't invent the word gestalt, but what gestalt means is it refers to our perception of a form whose meaning exceeds the totality of its components. So think about home, what home means. Yes. It doesn't mean like 
this is my house of bricks and da da da. It means like a big concept. Home is where the heart is. Hey, live, laugh, love. Um, so Gestalt is like, uh, is like the I, the me. Got it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, the Gestalt of the infant's perception of selfhood, um, is called the ideal I. That's what he calls it. Or inner Joe. And it's what the subject will perpetually strive towards his whole life. Whoa. <laughs> that is heavy stuff for, what do you say, so, six to eight? Yeah. So it's when it's old? the first time you like recognize yourself in a mirror. Holy so shit. So in the mirror stage, the encounter with the, the ideal eye uh, of a whole stable autonomous self presents the infant with an ideal image of himself or herself so the (laughs) the image becomes a conscious of its body as a totality even before um the infant has motor functions or is able to achieve mastery of their own body so it's like you see yourself and you're like whoa i'm like my own being but like when you're a baby you don't have control over your motor functions as well you as you have as an adult and not what causes you to strive after this like perfect image of yourself your whole life wait okay sorry so what causes you to strive for this perfect image of yourself like what part of this process is seeing that reflection in the mirror and realizing that you have that you're like vast potential yeah yeah it's like i think this is like where it falls apart a little bit because it's like how would a baby realize that but it's supposed to be like if you see an image of yourself when you're a baby and you're like oh my god that's like a that I'm a being and I have like I'm my own self mm-hmm. like but the problem is is that you actually aren't really your own self because you can't like take Cons- care of yourself right so your image of yourself is actually more than what you are capable of at the moment right but you're still able to conceptualize it but you're you able just to conceptualize able it. to execute yeah so exactly so uh, in making a connection to this ideal through identification in the mirror, the infant enters a lifelong quest to correspond wholly with this ideal eye, or sometimes it's called the other. I feel like you've probably heard that, like the other. Mm-hmm. Um, so according to Lacan, this quest can never be fulfilled because human existence is in essence a striving for a never attainable perfection. Um, Lacan does not put a positive spin on this observation um he says while the mere stage allows human individuals to come to know themselves as i by it also establishes a permanent split between the subject's self-image um and could possibly lay the foundation for forms of psychic distress such as anxiety neurosis and psychosis um so for lacan the mere stage establishes the ego as fundamentally dependent upon external objects or an other, which this is when I like totally like, I'm like, this is real because mm-hmm. so, because the individual matures and enters into social relations through language, this other will be elaborated within social and linguistics frameworks that gives each subject's personalities um, and its particular characteristics. So it's like feeling like out of body, feeling like, the person that you are perceived by as others isn't actually who you are. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Like, and it also like is a very apt 
like the mirror is a very apt metaphor because I think about this all the time. This is like dumbing it down a lot, but like when you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, oh, that's what I look like. But then you see yourself in pictures and you're like, I do not look that way. Do you know what I mean? Which one's right? Exactly. And it's probably not the mirror because the mirror, you're like projecting a lot of this thing that happened to you when you were young. You know what I mean? It's like Mm -hmm. you're, but then you realize that like your perception of yourself is shaped a lot by like other things. You can't actually see yourself for For what what you actually look like. I think, I think that's true though. Also, if you're looking at pictures. Yeah. I mean, true. Because I think of like this really good example, this woman telling me I was photogenic, (laughs) but basically this woman told me I was photogenic and I don't think I'm photogenic. And she was like, oh, well you are photogenic. That's a dumb conversation, but that's a conversation that had. And basically she like went into talking about how it's like, I don't think I'm photogenic because of probably like my own perception of myself. Mm -hmm. And so I'm unable to like objectively see the pictures, but that like, I am photogenic in her opinion. So kind of like that idea of perception yeah, still warping. Yeah, no, I have like, I have, it re- I have really bad like image dysmorphia of myself. Like I totally. hate getting my picture taken because every time I see a picture of myself, I'm like, that is, I do not look that way. That's like, I know you're not really on TikTok, but there's a whole thing about like an inverted challenge where there's like a filter that inverts your face. And so theoretically that's what other people see. And it's just very upsetting. What? Oh, because why? I think I haven't heard it actually explained, but I would imagine it probably has something to do with Uncanny Valley because we're so used to explicitly seeing ourselves oh, through a mirror. Through a mirror, and so when you see yourselves inverted, it's so uncomfortable and unsettling because it's like what you're used to while simultaneously being completely different well i think that's what this it's saying that that's putting you in conflict with this your ideal eye because you're seeing yourself in a mirror and that's like who you're who you're destined to be you know and so when you see the true self you're like oh god like it's very upsetting it's very upsetting so my like we were just talking about like i'm trying to have more confidence but you're telling me that i'm not as good as i think i am no i'm no it's all about perception this is just like, I think this is, I mean, he was a therapist. So he used this as like to help people deal with like anxiety and feeling like worthless, you know, because by telling me that I'm more worthless than no, I no, thought by I was saying that like you, like as humans were like set up from like the crib to like, to fail kind of. Yeah. Like we set up unrealistic expectations of ourselves because we literally form our identity on like a not real thing on like a another reflection so we should aim illusion. lower well no we're, we're basing our what we our perception of ourselves on an illusion of ourselves that's what he's saying basically hmm. it's not like who it's kind of yeah i i that's why i think it's very interesting yeah that is um, interesting well i also i haven't tried this yet but i had the reason i got into this was i had we took a bunch of the only like academic classes we took at art school were critical theory classes where you had to read like philosophy and talk about it and relate it to art. It was actually great. It sounds amazing. Um, so we read Lacan in one of the critical theory classes and I was like, holy shit, this is crazy because I, and I was way older than when he's saying this happens to you as a child, but I seriously, my first memory like that I can, 
I believe that I can remember is when my mom and I were driving and I was in the back seat in my little car seat. And I know exactly, we were driving down Yorbalinda Boulevard. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where it was. And there were the Pines apartment buildings to my right. And the sun hit, was like coming through the window in the car and it hit me. You know, like when the sun only hits you, but it doesn't hit the window or like something. So like you can see your reflection really well. Uh huh. And I saw my reflection and I was like, oh my God, I'm a person. Like Whoa, I was like, wait, how old were you? Did you I don't remember. That? I was very young. It was like one of my first memories. You were in a car seat? I was in a car seat. It's crazy. I was, while you were saying this, I was thinking, do I have any memories in a car seat? I don't, I don't think I do. I, I, I remember s- my brother's car seat. Oh yeah. You had a younger brother. I don't know why. I just remember that. I remember it was like very disembodying too. I was like, oh my God, like there's like, I am me. And then there's other people that are, th- there's like a limit to where I end and other people begin. I never wow. thought about it like that. Yeah. And that sounds really profound when I was a little kid, but it was like very like scared. I remember I've I was never thought scared about that either. where I was like, oh my God, like I, cause I just remember as a little kid, I don't know what this was. I just like always got freaked out that people were like had other thoughts than me oh interesting which sounds really like narcissistic but it wasn't that it was just like do you know what I mean yeah well I don't think it's narcissistic I think if anything it's it's in a way profound because I don't know that I was really thinking about what other people's thoughts were as a kid so you're saying I'm a little baby philosopher a philosophizer yeah (laughs) (laughs) that is what I'm saying um um but okay I have a few questions about this okay or about where we are so far in your topic which is okay so that sounds incredibly profound okay my first question is how did they test this if they're little babies who can't talk yeah i mean i probably should have looked at this more but it's like freud's psychoanalysis got it got it got it okay and then my my next question is that okay so if theoretically i mean okay sorry it is kind of tested because what I was saying about the, ch- I don't know if you remember the chimpanzees oh, thing yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. is like when babies first recognize themselves in the mirror, they're, it's usually happens between the age of six months to 18 months is when a baby will have a mirror put in front of them and they'll be very entertained by it. That's where he's getting that. And a chimpanzee will, will see a mirror in front of it and have no reaction to it at all. Couldn't it just be entertained, though, because they think that it's a friend? Like, how... I guess I'm just wondering, like, where is this idea of I think recognizing and having this profound moment? Like, how are they measuring I think they don't know. that level of... I think they don't know it specifically, but I think it's, like, the fact that they're able to recognize something in the mirror. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, um... Like other animals will see themselves in a mirror. I'm actually going to get into this later, but we'll see themselves in the mirror and like know that, that it's, we'll kind of like realize that it's something, but then not care about it. But it's the fact that humans are fascinated by mirrors. Hmm, maybe it's because it's another dimension. Yeah. Hey. Okay. So what I have this theory. Okay. <laughs> that what if when you're born, one, you remember being born and two, you know everything, but you slowly are becoming dumber until around the same age that you're able to talk. And by the time you can talk, you can no longer articulate your knowledge of the universe. Whoa. Because you're now, you've like 
become dumb and then like your the entire rest of your life is this like unconscious pursuit of regaining the knowledge that you had prior to being able to speak okay i this sounds crazy but i feel like it's not that far off from like how it probably is just because you're actually perceiving the world for like what it is when you're a baby Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like you have no other and i feel like that's really like brilliant in its own way there's no like since you have such little experience there's none of you're experiencing the world at like its purest form exactly wow let's copyright a- tm <laughs> <laughs> let's get like a baby to s- write it down <laughs> somehow <laughs> let's train them in the womb to use a pencil yeah i like it we'll like shove pencils up <laughs> through the through the vaginal and then canal. they'll come out and they'll be like blue is weird <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, I mean, okay. So I have a short, a very, very, very short horror story to tell you. Oh, Are you ready? No. Okay. I begin tucking him into bed and he tells me, daddy, check for monsters under my bed. I look underneath for his amusement and see him, another him under the bed, staring back at me, quivering and whispering, daddy, there's someone on my bed. huh <laughs> i just keep thinking i'm just a little dentist <laughs> so basically so it's a dad is tucking his kid into bed and the kid's like can you look if there's any monsters under my bed and the dad's like oh like of course i will so he looks under the bed and there's actually the a little boy under the bed saying daddy i think there's a monster in my bed and so what that's saying is that the duplication of the image um, can't be trusted. That one's image is actually somebody else's. So it's like a, it's like a, okay. So where I'm going to talk about this isn't how this is often used in movies. The mirror moment is often used in movies Mm -hmm. to be actually one of the scariest possible things like horror movies is a lot because it's a very like uncanny upsetting feeling. Um, So, so yeah, it's when like somebody would, so uh, no okay so it's like the cliched shot of a woman looking into a mirror only to see the killer right behind her one that i have that i don't know i think this has probably been a movie but i actually just have it i hate looking at windows in the dark when you can't see anything behind it like if you can't see like the street like currently my bedroom window looks out to the backyard but it's dark at night and i'm terrified of looking out of it because i think i'm going to see someone in the back it's just going to show up and yeah. Kate, what the i feel like you just like unlocked a new fear for me sorry <laughs> what's wrong with you i was a very scared little kid i'm already just so scared of so many things <laughs> and you just added to that list i didn't even know that I'm that list sorry. could grow at age 27 um well here we are 99 (laughs) have to Um, move now find some windows that face the street yeah well okay so that fear works so well because it plays on the traumatic juxtaposition of the self and the other that's like why it's so scary right is that you think it and it's always through a reflective surface you know it's always through a mirror or a window where you think that you're seeing yourself but then actually it's like something else and what they're saying is that's Lacanian because it's like, is that like, is the other not actually me? And it's like mm-hmm. very disembodying because your whole identity is based on that. 
I would definitely see disembodying. Yes. Yeah. What I thought you were going to say was the idea. And I don't, I feel like it's done in movies sometimes, but it's like where you, the character looks in the mirror and then like the reflection moves yeah, in a way that they're not it's moving. The same. I think that's another version of it. Okay. So, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I feel kind of dumb because I feel like I'm having a difficult time grasping this. No, it's okay. I've like read about this a lot. So that's why it. Okay. Here, here's a, an exercise that you can don't do it. Cause I think, I think it's scary. Don't. Oh my gosh. Okay, no, no, no. Don't okay. scare me. It's, you're not actually going to get scared, but something that you can do to, sh- to demonstrate what this is talking about is if you were to look at yourself in the mirror for like two to five minutes and the psychologist was saying to like to help show this theory is that within that time frame you start to feel very weird like you you start to feel like your reflection looks very odd huh. and it makes you feel very unsettled oh good let me just so add that to my to-do that. list thank you but now i'm going to be wondering i need to do it to check to make sure i'm not a crazy person and my reflection's real do you know what kind of dreams you were Hey, <laughs> sorry. I need to be rested had, for tomorrow. I had really bad dreams. I've been having really bad dreams. That's probably why this is. And I've been thinking about this scary person in my backyard that I'm going to see when I'm looking out the window. Okay. Do you want me to describe it again to see? It's actually let very me, simple. Let me try to describe okay. it to you and you can okay. re-describe the parts that aren't okay. me processing it correctly. Got it. So what you're saying is the, it's this idea that at a very young age, between six and 18 months, you have this moment of looking in the mirror and recognizing yourself and what, and recognizing yourself and seeing yourself as a being that exists mm-hmm. and that has thoughts up to a certain point, but after that point is the universe. Mm-hmm. I think that's a editorial that you added on. It is. Okay. But is it true or not? Yeah, m- more or less. Yeah. Okay. And then the part where you lose me, because I get that, is this idea of like the juxtaposition or not that, I mean, yes, that, but this idea of like, so from that point on, you are pursuing an illusion Mm -hmm. as just like your ideal self. Yeah. But so can you, what is the other? So the other is, so it's it's what you see in the mirror. But I think why it's so specific and important that it happens to you as a baby is that you see that you are a person and that you're a being. But I think why it's the ideal I or the this thing that you'll never be able to achieve is because what you see in the mirror is an autonomous being when you as a baby actually have no motor skills yet. You don't have any fun- like motor function. So it's the difference of this version of you that you see in the mirror can kind of do whatever it wants. Yeah. But that you who is supposed to be in control because you are the original actually can't do anything. Yeah, because you're a baby. <laughs> so it's you're like a literally like a like the dumb like visualization of it is like a baby is looking at themselves and they're a man. They're like a okay. superman. Got it. But then they're actually a baby and so they'll never be able to achieve that because they literally can't provide for themselves yet. Got it. Okay, cool. Um 
Yeah. I mean, I I'm just with think, you. yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, this is so subjective if this is real or not. I think mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things that's like, if you, if this helps you get over anxiety, like great. It actually helps me a lot because I feel like I have an idealized version of myself that I constantly am measuring like myself up to that's like not actually real that's so interesting because i feel like this gives me more anxiety oh really because i feel like i personally struggle with this idea of like am i going to disappoint myself because i have such a deep-seated feeling of like having a certain purpose and like wanting more for myself sort of a thing and it makes me anxious thinking about like oh is that thing that I'm achieving actually unattainable and I actually have no purpose I don't think that's what it's saying though it's saying that like you like kind of set on like unrealistic expectations for yourself and it's not it's not like goal oriented it's like the way I think it also relates to you know how I've been saying a lot how like you are your own universe Mm -hmm. Like, I think that we actually have, like, a little bit of a God complex. I think that's what it's saying is, like, we kind of view ourselves as God when, like, we, like, cannot be God. Like, we actually aren't gods. Like, we don't have power like that. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it's saying. So, it's, like, that's why it's helpful in therapy is, like, it's, like, no, you, like, that version of yourself, like, is not real. It's an illusion. Like, you are who you are and you're able to achieve what you're able to achieve i guess so where are you finding peace in that i don't know to me i don't know if it's like me misunderstanding this but i feel like to me it's telling me that i am much smaller than i think i am which i feel like i've been pretty open here saying that like i have imposter syndrome and so it's like you're telling me that like i already think that i'm not <laughs> capable of things and, and like, i'm actually so the imposter is less capable the imposter is better than what we're actually dealing with like, I, I guess that's where... I think you have two mirrors. <laughs> you have the mirror of your idealized self that's reflecting onto your imposter... It's like a bad reflection onto your imposter syndrome self that you're currently looking at. Okay, that makes me feel better in some way. So, like, the idealized self is, like, a beautiful, like, glossy mirror. And then the imposter syndrome is, like, a tarnished mirror that the that is reflecting the God mirror, but it's like a tarnished mirror, right? And then you're looking at the tarnished mirror. That's what imposter syndrome is. So I think I'm a worse version of my ideal self that's not real either. Your imposter syndrome is the worst version. You you thinking your imposter, your unimposter is a worse version of your idealized self. But the better version exists somewhere between. It's just who you are. The imposter syndrome is like you, like you literally have achieved what you have achieved, but you personally can't accept that. It's actually like it's actually the opposite of this. Like it's like one step behind who you actually are, right? So like I'm seeing it like your idealized self is up here, and then you're down here, and impo- your imposter version of yourself is below that. I understand that conceptually, but I guess I'm 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 having a hard time grasping where imposter syndrome sits in the spectrum of 
your idealized self is an illusion. I think it I think it plays into it because you think that you're imposter syndrome, you're an imposter because your idealized self you are trying to achieve that when that's like literally unachievable because it's not real. But like who you are as yourself is an accomplished and confident person. Do you know what I mean? I'm like 75% of the way there. I think you're really, I can feel like you're getting there. (laughs) (laughs) Your idealized self isn't something to actually strive towards. That's what he's saying because it's like not real. But it's a subconscious striving. Yeah, it's a sub, you're not actually striving towards it. But it's like, you know, like when you do something really good and you're like, oh, but like that wasn't good enough. But it actually was really good. It's because you are measuring yourself up to like literally an impossible standard. That's like so not like real. So it's like literally perfectionism. Yeah. Oh. And where it comes from is like when you're a baby and you can't oh control my God, yourself. Why didn't you just say perfectionism? That's why I said. I said at the beginning. Why didn't I just listen when you said perfectionism? <laughs> That's what it is. It's like a perfection, like a perfected god. Okay, okay. I'm with you. That's literally am, impossible. Okay. I'm literally, I am caught up. I am on your coattails. Like I am here. I'm sure a lot of people, I probably explained it in a very no, fast no, 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 way. You're totally good. Okay. Okay. We're good. We're moving so on. Let's, let's finish this with a quote from Lacan himself. Okay. He says, the illusion of unity in which a human being is always looking forward to self-mastery entails a constant danger of sliding back into the chaos from which he start he or she started it hangs over the abyss of a dizzying ascent into one which one can perhaps see the essence of anxiety so it's like i think it's actually exactly what we're talking about so it's like you looking up towards this i perfected idealized version is actually you just being extremely scared of like what's below you, which is like you coming back into being a baby with no control over yourself. I must have looked at a lot of mirrors <laughs> as a kid. <laughs> I think we both did. <laughs> I wonder what would happen then in this theory if like from ages six to 18, like what Lacan would say if you never saw, saw a reflection. reflection during those like that formative time like what does that do to your psyche that's so interesting because that should be a topic we do about like mirrors in like day-to-day life yeah because i know they weren't it wasn't common for like a very long time exactly yeah it's like a newish thing i guess you didn't you didn't think about you as a person as much i wonder if there's a if you would be able to nail down a correlation between society's pre-mirrors and society's post-mirrors I'm sure you could. Because like if theoretically your psyche doesn't develop this this very profound sense of individual self mm-hmm. because you don't have this like mirror moment. What yeah. is it called? The mirror. The mirror moment. The mirror moment. Then. The mirror stage. Sorry. The mirror stage. Then if you miss that, like what are those consequences? Like are you looking at a society that is more um, collectivism? versus Mm -hmm. individualist i don't know that's so fascinating i'm sure that relates in some way i feel like the thing that sucks is i feel like it's like okay here's this question i know this whole podcast is about like searching stuff on google but it's like i wish that i knew enough about like sociology and anthropology like studies that have been going on that it's like 
like I could search on like an academic paper thing to see if there's research. Yeah, but I don't yeah. even know what you would look up. Well, aren't I guess you look up mere me method totally in guessing. societies. But aren't like some like really like conservative religions they don't allow mirrors like the Amish? Maybe or did I make that up. I, I don't feel know. Like that's something. I mean, if it's not like a report back next week, yeah, we'll report back. I don't know. (laughs) That feels like I could see that. It might be from like a movie or something, though. That might be, but I think that would be very formative and like you would have a different experience if you never saw a reflection of yourself. Well, my question though is not. I would love. I mean, I want to know what the the change in experience if you never saw your reflection or you did once your brain was fully formed, like in your late twenties, but that versus somebody who did see a mirror during that mirror um, stage and those who saw a mirror after the mirror stage like maybe once you're like let's just say two years old yeah and like the difference in in unconscious psyche should we not give our children mirrors should we like avoid it at all costs i don't know that's like Crazy. crazy well the last thing I was gonna say really fast. You can go slow if you want. The mirror test is <laughs> a measure. Well, okay. So then there's this other thing called the mirror test. It's not that related, but I thought it was interesting. Um, and we kind of already talked about this. The mirror test is a measure of self-awareness developed by Gordon Gallup in 1970. And basically, it it's the mirror name. test gauges self-awareness by determining whether an animal can recognize its own reflection in a mirror as an image of himself Hmm. um although it's like not it's a little it's sus okay um but so such behavior might include turning or adjusting of the body in order to have a better view in the mirror or poking at the marking of its own body with a finger while viewing the mirror um and animals that have passed the mirror test are chimpanzees bonobos orangutans dolphins elephants humans and pigeons 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 are smart I didn't expect that um and surprisingly gorillas have not passed the test except for one specific gorilla coco who i think is coco. a famous gorilla mm-hmm. right yeah um well famous enough that i learned about her in my evolutionary biology class but i would hope so so i don't know how mainstream <laughs> famous she is i mean i feel like i had heard that name but it's be- this is probably because gorillas consider eye contact an aggressive gesture i mean same <laughs> Just kidding. um but human children tell tend to fade fail this test until they're at least six months old <sighs> until they have their mere moment um anyways fascinating that's just another thing because i have you ever have your cats ever like played with their oh my gosh kevin all the time kevin so we have a mirror there's like the main walkway in our living space and there's a mirror that's like perpendicular to it and sometimes she'll be walking and then turn and catch the mirror and then like she's a very chatty cat so she'll be like and run straight towards it and sometimes she'll like not super aggressively but like aggressively kind of like sprint to it and stop right in front of it and kind of like look at it and then sometimes she'll just kind of like do circles and like keep looking back like Whoa. she frequents the mirror none of the other cats seem to care about their reflection at all i think the 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 reason i was like well so cats pass the mirror test but i think what it is is that they recognize that it's their own self 
So I don't think Kevin knows that that's herself. Yeah. In the mirror. I think she thinks it's another cat. So cute. And so that's why she like wants to play. And it's kind of like, what's the deal? Why are you here? Why are you doing the same? Where the other cats are like, obviously, like, I don't know who this is, but whatever. Yeah. Ernie has done it a couple of times. He also like loves watching TV. Oh my gosh. Simba loves TV. Also, this is random, but today there's this really weird sound outside and I was like the guy outside your window no sorry no I'm so scared of that (laughs) um I go out to the porch and Ernie is sitting there and there's a fucking squirrel like literally so close like three feet away from me sitting just like like screaming at him (laughs) like the squirrel was so pissed I don't know why I love the idea of a squirrel screaming and Ernie was laying I call it like his like greek god thing where he's like laying on his side it looks like he should be fed grapes and the squirrel is just like having a goddamn meltdown (laughs) they're really like annoying oh i like squirrels when they like gawk i don't know that i've ever seen a squirrel gawk it's like screeching it's very i think it was really mad it was like do not fuck with me yeah probably (laughs) it's like i realized that there's a big bush outside of one of the windows the cats look out and there's definitely a huge squirrel that lives in it and i saw it today he was coming out of the bush and the cats were like he really just lives in what's going on (laughs) what's happening here oh well, that's the that's uh, Lacan and the mirror stage. Lacan, wow, that's it's heavy. <laughs> yeah, that's intense. Like, I just feel like I have so. I think that like it's so fascinating. This is a little bit tangential, but it's so fascinating. Talking about this has made me really re-examine things that I've talked about in therapy, and realize this idea of like. A lot of the things you talk about in therapy are based on trauma. Yeah. And realizing that trauma is such a perception per person, right? Like something, some event that I might find traumatizing, you might not be affected by, et cetera, et cetera. And just this idea of like formative years and how simultaneously, I guess, like fragile our psyche is, but also resilient. Mm -hmm. And just how much that like informs how we act on an everyday basis yeah yeah and just like all the information gathering we're constantly getting as children into adulthood and how that informs like literally everything we do 100 percent. it's so interesting i mean i could talk about this a lot but and i don't want to really talk about anyone else's experience because that's me like like being a armchair therapist Mm -hmm. but i i just know that there's a lot of things that if i have like a strange reaction to something or a very like strong reaction that seems out of nowhere Mm -hmm. i can always trace it back to something that happened to me as a kid absolutely i mean we talked about like anger and like when i get really angry it's because i it like is a childhood thing of like i don't like how that person is talking to me because someone talked to me like that when i was a kid and it made me feel bad yeah yeah no absolutely i think even like this i've realized that this like trajectory of how i experience and process emotion and i'm the only person in my family that i feel like feels this huge pull to fully process my emotions and that's how i feel like i'm really living Mm -hmm. my most human experience and i think that it's been this very interesting trajectory where as a kid 
that wasn't really how things were done in my household. I mean, I wasn't necessarily reprimanded, but like, you know, my family, people listening probably don't know my family, but my family like jokes a lot. Yeah. But it's also like we joke kind of hard where it's like (laughs) they'll say things that are super true and you're like, wait, what? And I was made fun of a lot. There was a lot of fun poked at like how emotional I was or when I was being emotional and being a drama queen and da da da. So there was a period of time during my adolescence where I feel like I really shut off the emotions. Yeah. Nothing. Which is which you didn't know me at that time, but even I feel like parts of high school I like was did not have emotions. I did yeah. not experience emotion. Um, which is very counter to how I am as an adult. Yeah. And then I feel like as soon as I left for college my mind just wild out in this idea of like oh I'm in a place where like you know when you're in college it's like I can reinvent myself and like there's more openness yeah. to that and I feel like I created some like not super productive habits of experiencing emotion or what I thought processing emotion was at that time and it's something I'm still like working through in therapy in terms of like yeah. undoing that pattern that I ult- that ultimately start stems from my childhood but I tried to reconcile with in early adulthood and now I'm continuing to figure out a healthier way to like manage that it's just yeah. fascinating yeah I know and even like sometimes some things my parents do then I hear about their childhood and I I'm just like oh my god that like it's just the same way for everything oh absolutely yeah I, I don't know it's like kind of beautiful in a way of like and to go back to our previous episode of if things were perfect and there was no trauma and and obviously like yes I don't want people to have trauma especially trauma that's like abuse and neglect and like extremely horrible things but if there if there was no nothing in our psyche that was causing us that we needed to reconcile with or grow throughout our our lives. Like what else are are we doing? Like that seems boring. Well, you need contrast to like understand happiness or like, understand, you know, like it, 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 that's just how we operate. Yeah. I mean, I was talking about how it's fascinating in screenwriting when someone writes something and they don't really have a lot of life experience and you're like oh that's not how it works at all (laughs) nice try (laughs) like oh you've not experienced anything (laughs) but yeah yeah well it's also fascinating because it's like have they not experienced anything or are they not extremely repressed (laughs) (laughs) um or have they not like and i'm not trying to sound like emotionally elitist but are they not in a place where they perceive the nuances of their experience or are able to process? No. Yeah. Them? I mean, it's probably like a, a, all of it. You know? Yeah. Cause I, I think you can't truly, if you didn't have a lot of life experience, that's like, doesn't actually, I take that back as like a metric of understanding reality. Cause that is a way of understanding reality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah um yeah it's all because like theoretically you could argue if you have two people that are both we'll just use 27 since 27 um 27 that like quantitatively quantitatively 
both have had equal amounts of life experience in terms of days and hours lived. Mm-hmm. So what is the metric of like not like translating life experience but like extracting from the amount of time lived i think it's like emotional processing but i so i will raise you Mm -hmm. and i think we're coming from the same place because like i like that i'm emotionful even though it is something I need to work on to like balance my life a little bit better. Yeah. But is that there's some people I think that see emotions as like unproductive and illogical. Oh, 100%. And so I, I just like am fascinated. We need to find somebody and have them on the podcast because like I'm fascinated. I want to hear their perspective of like what I just said of like, how do you measure life experience? If we're saying it's like emotionally processing that said experience and so like if you were somebody that doesn't necessarily value emotional processing like how are you experiencing things and like how are you measuring your life experience yeah I don't know I wonder I don't know it's so interesting I do wonder if we are able to be so emotional because like uh materially we were like pretty privileged children absolutely yeah we had all like the hierarchy of needs yeah and like our parents were together and we had a sibling and you know we had like pretty healthy like relation like communicate friendships as like children or I don't know I actually kind of didn't but (laughs) I had kind of weird friendships but I don't know I feel like the reason because I had all that like here let me say it in a different way something that Caleb and I have talked a lot about is why our relationship works really well and this is like not against anyone that has a different family background is like because we have very similar family backgrounds so we like Mm -hmm. understand each other on that level and it's because like I never questioned my whole life if I was loved and neither did Caleb we just like that was never a thing and so that's why I was able to like that's why I think I was able to feel other things. It's because I wasn't always chasing after that. Well, I think that goes for me, that goes back to like the hierarchy of needs. And yeah. um, I don't know them all off the top of my head, but it's like safety, love, shelter, like those are all part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that exists because there's evidence like there's some extent of evidence that if it's not met as a child then like there are repercussions sounds very judgmental but that you know there are there is there are things that you kind of have to work through as an adult because those needs weren't met as a child well i also wonder if our sensitivity (laughs) came from like the fact that i think we've talked about this before of like our parents were really loving, but they like, because they were so loving, they really didn't want anything bad to ever happen to us. So they like kind of didn't want us to ever experience anything except happiness, which makes you feel even more alienated when you don't feel like happy all the time. time. Yeah. It's fascinating though, because it's like, we have siblings and it's like my brother, I mean, he's not stoic, but again, I was the black sheep of my family by a, by a large margin Yeah, same. Uh, for more than one reason. But definitely the emotionful part was like 
very alienating um and that's not talking shit to my family at all it's just like a huge difference yeah and like my brother grew up with the same amount of love and the same like family unit as me and like he doesn't feel the need to be emotionful to the extent that i do same i mean with my sibling i mean it's nature nurture but it is it is like really fascinating (laughs) why do i feel everything (laughs) right oh my gosh please um please give me the answer um but yeah i don't know i i like my default answer is like i wonder if it has something to do with like maybe the part of the personality or brain that processes creativity because i would say that like i'm more creative than my brother is Mm -hmm. yeah so i don't know yeah crazy so that just like shapes your perception of the world and et cetera, et cetera. yeah because you're always trying to see other options you know yeah you're trying to like be aware of other i don't know i wonder if it would be maddening or enlightening to be in somebody else's perception of the world for a day or however long i'm sure it'd be a lightning would you know or would you just suddenly be like everything seems weird to me now i guess you would know like trading places i would love or whatever. to know that i would love it to scares me but or what no, if you're like not if, looking at yourself right you're looking through someone else's you're eyes. just looking through somebody else's lens wow no i'd love that that'd be so interesting like i want to know so bad how people see the world and i think like being in a long-term committed relationship has been really eye was maybe the first time that it was like so eye-opening that it's like people have different experiences than me yeah i think it's like twofold i think first going to college and meeting people who aren't from like didn't grow up yeah where you grew up um and have just like vastly different experiences and realizing it's like oh like you had different like family traditions or like the way that you spoke to your parents was different or like the expectations of whatever were different. Like those differences become really apparent. But I think when it's the most jarring, at least for me is when you're in a committed relationship and here's somebody that you obviously connect to on this like vastly deep level. And then you realize that they see things so differently than you. Yeah. And that like, like I think to to use Alex and I as an example is Alex is an intensely logical person to the point that like I cannot even fathom. And I think it's like vice versa where I am so intensely emotional that he just can't. It's been a lot of it's been a lot of growth to like be be able to open your mind up and like be able to try and your best to perceive the world in like a completely different way yeah but it's just it's been wild that's the closest that I can think of in terms of trying to understand how the like somebody else's lens sees things yeah but I think that's why it's important to not not even be like in a romantic relationship but to like have social interaction and like have relationships with other people yeah because you get to see that like a lot of things are just your perceptions like things that you're upset about or like things that you're like I don't I, it helps like balance out the world do you know what I mean yeah yeah I mean this is like an example because it's it's a romantic example but I think it can apply to anything but Caleb interestingly his family is very emotionally in tune and he actually <sighs> finds it very suffocating oh fascinating because his family is like what's wrong why are you mad 
Like what's going on? And my family was always like, you're fine. You're being too sensitive. You're mm-hmm. fine. And it's interesting because that actually is like one of the strongest parts of our relationships is that like I don't well sometimes it's strong and sometimes it's hard because it's like I don't need I don't want you to do that like be like are you okay you okay because I'm not used to it but also like it is helpful sometimes like it's helpful to be legitimized in my feelings but then it's like I don't do that to him and he doesn't want someone to do that to him because I wasn't raised to do that to yeah someone I'm close to just very interesting how that like balances you out you know what I mean totally well and what's the most interesting part of this and I think this applies to romantic or otherwise relationships is this idea that I feel like and I don't know if you grew up in a family that does this like good for you man because you have (laughs) exceptional communication skills but learning the older that I the older that I've gotten I've learned that it's like just freaking ask, like just being able to be like, hey, like, how can I be here for you right now? No, yeah, or like, exactly. Hey, like, do you want to talk about it? I'm here. If you don't, it's cool. Like, or and having the emotional intelligence and confidence, I guess, to be able to say like, hey, I'm upset. Can we talk about it? Yeah. And building the trust that it's like they don't need to. It's twofold. I think it's like creating a space that's safe within the relationship that they one person doesn't feel like they need to be policing or asking because the other person feels comfortable that if they have something that they want to say they'll say it yeah exactly yeah does that exist Um, (laughs) is that fantasy i mean i'm sure it exists after a lot of work i definitely believe you can get there but i'm curious if that happens by default to anybody or any um, relationships I'm sure it happens to some people. I don't know. We're we're trying to work at that. Like yeah. I'm trying to not get offended when Caleb does that. <laughs> like today it was so small, but he was like, Hey, like, just like don't leave the cat like it's he's like, Don't say sorry. It's like not a big deal. Like I think you're just not used to it because you still live alone, but like I don't love like when the cat food is like in the sink that my dishes are in because that I, I don't like that. He would hate living with me. And I literally was like, like combusting inside. Cause I was like, Oh my God, he's so mad at me. But then it was like, he's just saying what he wants. And that's, that's great. That's good that he's, you know what I mean? Cause totally. he prefaced it being like, it's not a big deal. I'm just telling you. Totally. But it's like, that's something I need to work on myself is like, be like, someone's allowed to say something that they feel that is actually at odds with your actions, but that doesn't mean that you're a bad person mm-hmm. or that you're like, they're mad at you. Absolutely. <laughs> and to that same token, I feel like my big struggle is that it's like, if I'm like, Hey Alex, like, do you mind taking out the trash? And like, you know he doesn't necessarily want to do it and so he's like okay i'll go do it now and i'll just say it like that and then i'm like oh my god did i say it mean (laughs) like he doesn't want to take the trash out what does this mean about me what does this mean about him why doesn't he want to take the trash out when it's like okay well like that's like annoying we were sitting on the couch of course he doesn't want to take the trash out but being okay with like kind of not suffocating him where it's like we don't need to dig into like okay so like why like do you want to talk about like what how like (laughs) give me like a checkout like how can I say this in a way that like won't you know elicit a response like how how can we make you happy about taking the trash out it's like you just you don't need to do that yeah so it's all learning process I guess is what we're (laughs) what we're gonna get I I think what we're getting at here is you don't want to date me (laughs) (laughs) or me (laughs) well you can't 
Yeah, we're we're taken. So we're taken. Um, Liam Neeson. <laughs> Liam Neeson has taken us. He's done so many of those movies. <laughs> Have you looked at his like his like um videography? Kind of went off the rails, right? I feel like it's like I'm so confused. Like, ta- I just like want to understand. Like, does he want this for himself or like? Because I feel like he was like doing other things, right? And then all of a sudden it was like taken. And then I feel like it was like taken one, taken two, taken three, taken on a train, it's like, taken in how many the children plane, does he taken have? in the taken in the ship, taken like it's like <laughs> taken with a different name, just like on a different in different types of vehicles. Yeah, and, like taken in the snow. Wasn't he in good movies? Oh, he was Schindler. Yeah, right? I yeah, I think so. It. I. You didn't. Oh, you were in AP history. We had to watch it in history once. Oh, really? Yeah. You were in AP history. No, you were. I was. You I weren't? was in normal history. Okay. Or maybe I was in AP history. You probably were in AP history. I would find that hard to believe that you weren't. I was in AP history. Did we watch and I just fell asleep? There were two AP histories though, right? There was like AP world history and oh, then yes, AP yes, something yes, else. Yes. Yeah. And there is a scenario where you could take both APs. There is a scenario where you'd take one as a senior. No, that's not true. I took one online. That's what it is. But yeah, one of them you watched Schindler's list. I remember I was wearing a Transformer shirt. <laughs> it's from Target. I remember I used to sleep during the history videos and I would thought it was really covert because I would put my hands over my eyes. <laughs> like I was just like resting. And then at the end of the semester, she was like, I knew you were sleeping the entire time. And I was like, for sure. <laughs> I wonder. Still got a five on the AP test. So hey, yo, I wonder what, like, it must be so difficult to be a, a teacher now. I mean, a parent too. I was going to say parent, but a teacher because of like things like AirPods and like all the technology that can just like. Because that was only, AirPods weren't a thing when we were in school, but. Oh God, I would have loved that. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But just like these little devices in your ear. Because you could just like, we have long hair. Oh yeah, it's like. So easy. I know. I remember, I guess this was in college. Why was I doing this in college? Because I had black hair for a long time. I would get black earbuds and you just couldn't see the cord if I was wearing all black. Because I was always wearing all black. So but that's the thing i don't need to get into my educational theory (laughs) i will really fast okay 10 seconds not to continue to talk about caleb but his grandmother founded a school in new york city um where the entire educational model is not about what children learn it's about them getting excited to learn Oh my gosh, I love Which that. Which is such a beautiful Please concept. Please bring it to California. And I think that that, like that, I want my reaction to if a kid wants to have earbuds in class, I'm like, okay, sure. Like, I don't know. It's like, they're going to do, like at that point, they don't want to learn. And so you have to find ways to in- make them want to learn. To engage. Not to be like, you have to know these facts. And totally. that's why Caleb will tell me about some of the classes he would take at this school. It was like, not making or like he had a class it was moby dick where they just learned about whaling (laughs) but it was just because it was just supposed to like get you excited to like be curious which i think is so beautiful well didn't he go to an ivy league school yeah so like things obviously worked out (laughs) case study that i know yeah no i think that's so fascinating of like the idea of not to like continue to play therapist to myself (laughs) but 
the this idea of like I really struggled with oh my gosh with a fixed versus growth mindset which we've totally talked about on here before and I think that like the typical American school situation yeah um, education system feeds into that because yeah. you're rewarded not necessarily I know it's tough though because it's like you know people give shit to the like gold star generation where it's like everybody gets a star sort of a yeah. thing but I think it's less of that and more celebrating when you are working hard versus when you're like whether it's gaming the system or it comes naturally to you or whatever and you're able to just like memorize the information and pop it yeah. out that's what I got really frustrated with in high school was because like I feel like I wasn't treated as like I was treated as like an average kid mm-hmm. when it's like I knew that I was like pretty curious and like interested I just like didn't like doing homework yeah and I was always mad that I was like like not like the that other people were deemed like more intelligent than me because they like did the homework but yeah I don't know I can't even remember what were we talking about the mirror yeah I don't that, know how that we seems got here. like five weeks ago <laughs> um well i guess that's that's it thanks for sticking around thanks for sticking around hope that was enlightening (laughs) and not just i wonder how interesting it is to essentially hear two people's like therapy (laughs) sessions in a podcast cute thanks for listening new episodes fridays don't forget to check out our instagram shut up going all word all one word you're gonna see some square wombat you know you want to see that you know can you post that online is that yeah or it's not too late will it be like we'll have to like like put a little start out but then it would still look like the poop if it's yeah if If we do have to make it pixelated we'll make sure you can still tell it's square square it's true so we'll see y'all next time Bye. bye